Welcome to the Digital Thoughts Podcast. My name is Zan Sayed, and I am a pharmacist turned product manager. I have almost 10 years of clinical experience in oncology, ranging from inpatient all the way to outpatient. My goal with this podcast is to bring people from all sides of the conversation together so that we can learn from each other and build a better healthcare system. In this podcast, we discuss everything digital health from the people to the products. If you do enjoy what you listen to, please consider giving this podcast a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help a lot. Thank you very much, and let's get into the episode. Today, we have an awesome guest. Katrina Azer is a digital clinical pharmacist for Tend Health in New Zealand. In this episode, we talk about how she forged her own path to her new career, the complexities of compliance and adherence, how to build an application for compliance and adherence, and why it's so important to empower patients to own their own healthcare. This is a great episode. I hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did. Hey, Katrina, how are you doing? All the way from New hey. Zealand, actually. Yes. Hey, Zane. Um, I'm well, thank you. Yes, all the way from New Zealand, a very, very uh, far part of the world, probably other side of the universe for <laughs> you guys. Um, but I'm thrilled to be here on your podcast. So, yeah. Yeah, no, thank you for uh, being a guest. I really appreciate it. But for those who don't know who you are, do you mind giving us a little background introduction to you, who you are and what you do? Um. Yes, absolutely. So um, I'm Katrina Azer, a virtual clinical pharmacist. Uh, I'm a private consultant and also have a, a collaborative agreement working in a general practice um, in New Zealand. I perform um, these roles fully virtually, uh, so hence my title, telepharmacist. Um, I'm also board member of the Pharmacy Council of New Zealand. Um, this is a re- regulatory authority that ensures pharmacists are fit and competent to practice. Um, I also have other advisory roles uh, pertinent to health and non-health. Um, I write to New Zealand publications as well, um, like the Pharmacy Today. And I'm a general health project consultant. Um, so, yeah, I've got quite a bit of diversity in my role, which I actually absolutely uh, cherish and probably is what keeps me going every day. Just uh, no one day is the same as the day before. And I think that speaks to what pharmacists can really accomplish. You know, we graduate as pharmacists, but um, I always say your degree by no means defines where you get to in your career. It is just a foundation. So, yeah, um, yeah, a champion, I guess I can probably say champion telepharmacy and pharmacogenomics in New Zealand and trying to get more and more pharmacists providing their services via telehealth. Yeah. And it's me. That's awesome. I mean, do you ever sleep? Sorry. Do you ever do you ever find time to sleep when you're doing all those things? Oh <laughs> uh, yes, yes. No, look, look. I that's an interesting question. Um, I have to admit, I wasn't so good at finding time to sleep when I first started off uh, my journey. Um, I uh, was I was very poor at time management, and it starts started to wear me down quite a bit. Um, but I think the best thing to performing at your peak performance is to have good time management. That's like clarity and time management. Took me so long to develop those two skills, but once I did, things became under control and yes, I managed to find time to sleep. Now I probably survive on about maybe six hours, six to seven hours. I naturally wouldn't be able to sleep more than that anyway, but um, I have my uh, timetable as a screensaver on my phone. That's how bad it is. (laughs) <laughs> so I don't actually miss anything or forget anything. 
and of course on top of everything I'm doing I'm actually a mum as well I've got two uh, girls so that adds to the complexity but I cherish being you know being mum and I love my kids and yeah, always make time for family so got strict schedule between you know um 5 a.m and, and 3 p.m and then <laughs> after 3 p.m that's it no more work um, maybe, maybe if I do, if I'm desperate an hour at night, but other than that, work for me always ends at three o'clock in the afternoon. And, um, that's something that I really value about the diversity of my role and just being a solopreneur and doing all these things that I'm in charge of my own timetable. Just nothing can ever beat that. So, yeah. No, that's amazing. Um, I do want to get into, um, you had shared a story with me about, you kind of creating a role for yourself and do you mind kind of walking the audience through what you did and how you got to where you got to? Because I think it's a fascinating story and it, I think that more people should do what you did. Oh, look, absolutely. And, um, I mean, you're probably in a similar boat to me actually. And, and there are in things in our stories that are in what somewhat similar. Um, but my interest in digital health, um, was ignited by, by LinkedIn, to be honest. Um, that's where all the action happens as you're well aware. Um, so I, I came across an article uh, on telehealth um, and the more I immersed myself in understanding about it, the, the more I realized how this can truly rev revolutionize patient care. And it came at a point where, you know, it was the end of, well, actually it was the beginning of the pandemic. Um, a lot of pharmacists will probably resonate with what I'm going to say, but I was so burned out. I was just so over it. I just, I I couldn't count one more pearl. I don't know how much I can emphasize this, but um, I just couldn't do it anymore. I just had to had to find a way out. It was it was no longer sustainable for for you know for my health, for my family, uh, for my mental well being. I just had to move on, and I just it was almost sometimes I describe it by drowning. I actually had this drowning feeling, like I just needed help, but I didn't know where to look for help. And it was coincidentally that I was just. Oh, hang on, you know, what happens on LinkedIn? And I just click the app. I had the account, but it was dormant for God knows how many years, probably like five, six years, you know, like everybody else, they just have a LinkedIn account, but you don't necessarily do anything with it. So I got on, um, revamped my incredibly old profile and, and got connecting and networking with others in the digital health space. And, you know, I upskilled uh, by completing some online courses in digital health and you know, I read every single piece of content really that I got my hands on about the topic and, you know, attended every virtual and live event in the country. There aren't that many, but, um, you know, with the advent of, of, of digital health and, and digital uh, education, you can probably attend a gazillion online, um, you know, conferences. So that's something that I uh, took up readily. And um, yeah, and I think it's important to highlight that I, you know, that, that, that was a part of my journey is understanding the distinction between uh, digital health and telehealth and telepharmacy and all of those words that sometimes we use interchangeably but don't necessarily mean the same thing. So when I attended all those conferences and, and undertook all this education for me, it was like, so what area is it really that I'm passionate about as a digital health, like, for example, your product manager in digital health or or is it, um, you know, telehealth in general or is it the specific of telepharmacy, which is providing med management, med adherence, uh, med reconciliation services via uh, via uh, virtual virtual platforms. Um, that was a distinct part of my journey, and I emphasize that because people often go and look at digital health in general, or just they don't really know what they want. So when you are trying to forge a pathway forward, it's important to know 
what it is that you really want and that resonates also with your newsletter this morning which you released and, and you had your eye particularly on a particular position which is product management for four years right and i had my eye after understanding all about digital health telepharmacy telehealth on i want to be a pharmacist who provides these services from home. I don't want to have to go to a pharmacy. I don't want to have to go to a company. I don't want this or that. I knew exactly what I wanted. And so I don't think it's luck. I think it's meant to be as we discussed earlier, but um, I stumbled upon this um, company. They're a, a, a healthcare provider, a, G, a, a GP service or a primary care service that just launched and they, um, or offering telehealth or GP doctor or doctor appointments virtually and they're they're probably one of the first in New Zealand and they launched round round about the time that I was actually undertaking all of these things I discussed earlier. I thought, hmm, that would be interesting. You know, what if a pharmacist can can do the same thing or can provide these services virtually alongside GPs? And, you know, I took the opinion of some colleagues and my husband and everyone was like, oh, this is not going to work. You know, they're multi-billionaires. They have no idea what pharmacists even do. This is, you know, every single person I honestly came across, you know, <laughs> did nothing but kind of devalue the idea. But inside me, there's, there was a strong calling, like, you just need to try. There is a big chance that they'll say no, but there's also a huge chance that they may say yes, you know. Um... So I reached out to the CEO then, straight to the CEO, you know, I didn't even reach out to any assistants or whatever. I was like, hey, this is my name. This is what I do. I'm interested in, you know, knowing more about your your service that you provide through your platform. Um, this is what a pharmacist can do. Um, and I would be really happy if you can provide some time for, for a chat. Um, and I think in my message, I emphasized, I had a statement around what how pharmacists can reduce medication harm and how, um, you know, 50 to 40 to 50% of available evidence uh, shows that patients don't take their medications and their uh, ethos in the company was making people healthier and, you know, enhancing well-being and so on. I said, look, if, you know, if you, part of your company's ethos is making people well healthy and you know encourage them to uptake health services and so on and I feel like there is an alignment between my goal and the services provided by your company and I was like you know I sent the message slipped over it for like you know a week and I'm like there's no way he's gonna reply and I you know to my surprise he just reached out and said you know I'd be really happy to to schedule the virtual chat and that's when things got rolling um he lists I pitched in my idea he only had 15 minutes, so in 15 minutes I was trying to squeeze in as much information about what is the problem that I can address for his company. And I also think this is important. A lot of the time when we sell our ideas or pitch our ideas, we talk so much about us. And that's where a lot of pharmacists or people in general fall. That's a trap. When you pitch an idea, it's so important to, un to, to pitch in from their, what is the pain point they have that you are trying to address. So I addressed the point of, you know, medication safety, medication adherence, how GPs spend so long, you know, um, cleaning up patient records, how patients don't take their medications, uh, how nurses go back and forth answering patient queries about medications when really a pharmacist can be doing that, all the time saving that pharmacists can provide. And he was like, he was talked with the idea, said, you know, this could provide a lot of uh, work improvements and, and time 
saving star clinicians and he said i want you to come up to auckland which is another city and and pitch in for my leadership team and i was like oh crap i wasn't ready for this um but so i i did i um i flew up with a one hour presentation presented my idea more thoroughly and that's it he was like okay well you're gonna have to write your own job description from now and and sign an agreement a collaborative agreement with us you know to provide your services to our patients and that's it that it was history after that so um you know that's that's one of my roles part-time i provide collaborative agreement to his group to this group of, of uh, gps there's about you know about uh probably 20 around the country now and I lead their medication management services. Um, but yeah, it was all history from then. I put together my job description, my uh, what hourly rate I wanted to charge, how I wanted to service that to be provided. I worked with the company on designing their medication adherence and management app. And that's one part of the journey that I really, really enjoyed, you know, understanding the challenges that patients face. And as a patient myself, you know, a number of times and what, what, you know, how can we better help patients to take their medications? So part of it was kind of product design as well. And that's why I'm passionate about, you know, you'll see a lot in my comments about product design and product management. Um, just shaping that journey from A to Z, from the time a patient gets prescribed a medication to the time that they take it, to the time they need a repeat prescription or a renewal of a prescription, and assessing their journey throughout and finding out what challenges they have um, in taking their medications. But yeah, that's that's part of my journey. That's my 20 hours of my week, where 20 hours of my week goes. But um, and, and it all went upwards from there. You know, I got entrenched in that part of my role, and that opened me up to other roles and other projects that I provide uh, myself for on a consultant basis, because people now recognize that that's what I can do. And like you, you know, like, like yourself, you know, put myself out on LinkedIn and talk about what I do and, and people know me for that. So yeah, that's my journey in a nutshell. So. <laughs> no, I, I think that's amazing. Um, to me, that's, that's honestly, that's so awesome because you literally, I mean, you literally created a job for yourself. And I think that there's so many people and me included, um, my job I got because the kind of not similar circumstances, but the job was, it was unlisted. And, and then I was like sad about it, that it got, it wasn't taking. And then I just emailed the guy, I just emailed him regardless, the hiring manager, and he got back to me and the job wasn't, was open, but like, it shows that you really need to go out and and really take control of your own destiny. And, you know, you didn't have, I'm assuming you didn't have any experience in creating job titles and presenting no. to uh, <laughs> giving presentations oh and you just kind of did it on your own right like and I, I tell think... you no amount of diazepam then would have even treated my anxiety <laughs> like <laughs> you know it was so I just had to almost block my mind of thinking about it so I can actually do it because the more I thought about what I was going to do and what I threw myself in, the more I didn't want to do it and I felt so scared you know here am I pitching to these billionaire CEOs you know who have run numerous companies in the past so it was not an easy position to be in but it's hard to even tell people you know courage is not something that you just ask for and get courage only appears when you need it so you know a lot of people will have new year's resolutions saying oh you know please god give me courage or give me this or give you this but how are you going to know that you're going to be courageous without having the difficulty that asserts your need to have that courage do you know what i mean like yeah. and it was just one of those life-changing moments where i was put on the spot and i just 
I had no option but to just face face it and just get out there and just tell the world what I'm about. And I think um, like you as well, you just have to align with your goals for life. And it was just one of those moments where everything I did um, just aligned with the trajectory of where I wanted to be. And there was no, you know, there was no other option for me but to pursue this. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that, and that's amazing. And I, that's why I wanted you to tell the story because I think it's, it's not only amazing, but it's also, um, I think people need to hear those kind of stories because one thing that I, the more I talk to people that are successful like yourself or are doing the stuff that they want to do, it's because they went out and did those things. They didn't wait for people to tell them, Hey, are, are you looking to do this? It was all like, you have to go out and do it on your own search for these things on your own because, um, these jobs don't just like exist everywhere, right? Like there's special people that get to those jobs and that's what makes people special is because those people go out and grab those jobs. Um, so yeah, but you had also mentioned that you were working with them on a med manage, like a app with med management yeah. uh, and you were looking through the journeys and things. What did you, what did that teach you kind of coming from the technology side going like from the clinic side and then the technology side, like what, what were the things that were similar and what really surprised you? So working on that app truly was insightful because, you know, and, and part of this is also discussed in some of the posts you've shared on LinkedIn and I've shared is, is the first distinction is under understanding compliance and adherence for me and, and patients, we often say patients are non-compliant, whereas, you know, compliance is, indicates a paternal journey, paternalistic journey between the clinician and the patient. And adherence is patients willingly wanting and understand the need to take their medications. And when you design an app, we wanting to focus more on the adherence side. I don't particularly, I, I personally don't like to call it compliance because I don't think it's, it's a right idea to actually uh, have that relationship with a patient where you're kind of telling them you need this medication because of blah, blah, blah. And then they go away and they never take it. So we always want to focus more on medication adherence. And, and this is what the app is about. It's about the patients having full disclosure, full information to everything, you know, that they're on. Um, they can see when they, it was prescribed, when it was picked up, when it's running out, when they need to renew it. They can have information on the app, on what it is for. They can have straight access to a pharmacist, you know, can I speak to a pharmacist now or can I ask a question about your medication and so on and so forth. Um, and, and this is what it is about. Is it's that designing that journey that encourages that adherence. Um, and I think part of that journey is really about transparency in the process. Um, as you're well aware, a lot of uh, clinical notes and a lot of information is often hidden from patients in a lot of cases. You know, when was the last time you would have had access to my notes, your notes, or even with myself? You know, I have to actually ask for my notes when I go to hospital. And sometimes you're like, why do you even need that? It's like, these are my, my notes, you know? <laughs> like, these are my, I'm, I ha I'm entitled to that information. And that's the beauty of that app is that we are we, we allow full disclosure to that information so the patient truly understand what they're on, why they need it, what was the discussion between them and their clinician last time, what did they agree on, what did they, they did they disagree on? And that encourages adherence. And some of the challenges that I you know, from a patient's perspective that that um, you know, were raised is 
patient's understanding uh, of the information and, and language, a lot of it is also language barriers. You know, patients don't actually understand um, the app or understand English specifically. And how can you put that information so it's kind of conceptualized in easy language um, rather than and in lay terms rather than in complex uh, terminology that the patients don't really, um, you know, understand. Uh, that was for me uh, one of the the main takeaways of putting that app together, and um, you know, understanding also that sometimes we may look at the data that we gather from that app and think, oh, but the patient is not taking their medication. You know, they haven't picked it up for this long, or it was last prescribed prescribed there and the, you know a long time ago, whatever. And not understanding the um, the challenges that that patient faces and to why they didn't actually pick up their medications, and you know, some of these are, you know, as you're well aware, financial difficulties, um, you know, uh, access to medications, access to a pharmacy, being able to go and pick up the medication from the pharmacy and all sorts of challenges, you know, were thrown about how at us about why patients actually, you know, some patients don't even engage with the app and you kind of had to find out, well, why is it that patients are not engaging with, uh, with the app or not viewing um, their data or information and you know, many things came up like, you know, uh, health, you know, the literacy, uh, digital literacy is obviously a very big thing. Um, and, you know, some of the medical centers that I deal with um, or in my agreement, you know, we have a lot of uh, refugee and migrant patients and, you know, they just don't understand how to use it. So you kind of have to make um, space for, for that kind, those kinds of challenges in the app, you know. Um, into making it easy to understand, but also allowing them a channel uh, where they don't actually have to use the apps so of being able to pick up the phone and just have that one-to-one -one conversation or even getting on calls with them um, to show them how to use the app or when they come into the clinic, showing them how to actually use the app. Um, these were challenges that we faced and all sorts of challenges, you know, I see from day to day into why patients don't uh, take their medications, you know, um, you know, work-life balance gets in the way. People just forget to take their medications because it's a ridiculous time of the day. You know, prescribing antibiotics three times a day personally, that's one that I really find challenging. <laughs> and, you know, that's, you know, you work with prescribers to um, tell them, you know, could you prescribe, you know, a, a BD dose um, if that is possible for another antibiotic. And, you know, and, and th things like that um, always come up. Uh, financial, financial, Financial security is another one that patients really struggle with, you know, not, not paying, being able to pay for their appointments and therefore don't pick up their medications. And so you can see from the app that they're not picking up their medications, think what's going on, but it's because they just don't, they can't pay. Uh, patients who are displaced from their houses, you know, like um, obviously things like, you know, we've had floods up in Auckland at the moment in another city in New Zealand, and these can have an impact on patients. And even a few years back here in, in the city that I am in, um, we've had floods. Um, and an earthquake um, and, and things like that just get in the way of patients uh, adhering to their medications, you know, in, in that context um, of what challenges patients really face um, to uptake medications and to um, adhere to prescribed regimens. So, yeah, there's there's just like a multitude of things that get, get in the way of patients adhering to their medications. And one big one, actually, that I you know always love to talk about is equity and cultural safety. Uh, some patients just don't want to interact with the system because they feel uh, that they're stigmatized and don't feel the need, um, don't feel recognized, don't feel heard. And so they're like, oh, here comes another app. They don't even know what I'm talking about. They don't really respect me. They don't understand me. Um, or, you know, 
just just the perception of not being valued um, and these are all the challenges that we try to address through having that interface that makes people feel heard valued uh, understood and just easy to um, easy to to you know uh, navigate um, that journey from A to Z and you know, not asking questions that re relate to culture or identity and just making sure that it's inclusive so it's just it's addressing that journey really from A to Z and that is really challenging and there is no one factor that affects medication adherence there is a multitude of factors and you often don't find out until you look at the app or a patient comes out of hospital and you look at um, their notes and you think oh this is interesting I wonder what's going on there and you jump on a call and you think oh, okay so this is what's happening and the beauty of the app is, it, is that it provides that transparency in the journey which allows you to see that then you may have been prescribing the medication but the patient has not been taking it because often doctors think oh there you go there's a prescription assume the medication the patient has been taking the medication sometimes patients do that right they turn up to the next appointment you think that they're taking the medication and you know when i was in retail pharmacy you would often receive like six months of worth of blood pressure medication in the bay and he's like oh my god what have you been you know what have you been doing like why have you not been taking this oh i wasn't even convinced that i needed it the doctor thought i had high blood pressure but at home my blood pressure is low and so that takes us actually to another point altogether, which is remote patient management, which is why it's so important, you know, in the context of patients with hypertension, to, you know, have an ac accurate data collecting the journey throughout to understand their need for, for drugs. And so it opens you up to a multitude of topics, really, is what I'm trying to, to, um, to say here. But yeah, it's, it's an incredible journey to be involved with, to be honest. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're highlighting why it's such an, what from the outside it looks like a very easy problem to solve but it's extremely difficult because there's i think it's the social part that a lot of people overlook you know they're just like and i like the i like what you said about compliance versus adherence they're not the same thing and you know one has a very very like even like you know i i even have trouble saying oh this patient is not adherent because that just is like looking at them singularly just hey they're not taking their medications but like you mentioned could be because they don't have the money to do it they don't have the transportation to get the medication. They don't, um, you know, there's understand other things. Understand why they need it. <laughs> yeah, they don't understand why they need it. We haven't, we haven't done a good, good enough job. You know, yeah. to me, it's a system issue and not just like a personal issue. But um, do you think that you being a clinician helped you with those insights when, when creating that app? Oh, look, I, I honestly think the best people to do this are clinicians. They just have that you know, that experience, real life experience from why, for why patients can't, you know, can, can struggle with taking some of their, med their medications. Um, we, especially pharmacists, I think, because, you know how, if you can relate, I'm not sure if you were in retail pharmacy, but me as a retail pharmacist, I used to often get patients from time to time saying, I'm not taking this and please don't tell my doctor because of blah, 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 or please don't tell my doctor this, or please don't tell my doctor that. And for me, it's like, why are they telling me, a pharmacist, but they're not willing to tell this information to their GP? And I think, you know, as pharmacists, we've got a great tool in our toolboxes. We've always been seen as the first-line clinicians who are so relatable because people can just walk in and talk to us in any pharmacy. And so we get more of those challenges thrown at us and more of that information relating to their patient journeys that we can face. So I'm not saying this pertinent to all apps, but specifically when it comes to designing an app where medication is involved, I really cannot emphasize enough the need to have a pharmacist in the journey. Absolutely, 
Yeah, no. Um, obviously, I'm gonna agree with that. I've I've a, I've a horse in the race in that one. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, but but all kidding aside, I do think that um, you know, every industry, you name it, usually brings a expert from that industry, right? Um, and it just so it just seems like in healthcare. I think also in healthcare, there's like a personal thing, right? We are patients. We think we know the system because we, you know, went to the ER or, you know, took our loved one to the thing. But like, so we see the front end of the system, but we don't see the whole system. And I think that, I think that's maybe why there's so many health tech companies in here that are trying to fix healthcare because they have a personal connection with it versus, and they think they can do it. But it's like, once they start peeling away the onion, they're like, holy Wait a second. I didn't know this happened. Oh, I didn't know this happened. And that's what I try to tell people is like, you know, you're, you're trying to solve problem A, problem, yeah, problem A. And then, but you have to solve every, like the 20 things, 20 steps before it to even get to the point of solving this. Because if you don't solve all that stuff, you're never going to solve A, right? Whether it be adherence or, you know, like, you know, adherence is a great one, right? Because there's so many factors in it. And, you know, there's so many companies like, oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to improve adherence. And it's like, well, did you think about the social issues? Did you think about this? Did you think about that? Like, how are you going to, how are you going to, you know, account for this, this, and this? I mean, I just had a conversation with somebody and we were talking about adherence and how, you know, that social aspect of healthcare is gone, especially in the United States, because there's so many mergers and acquisitions happening with bigger hospital systems taking up rural hospitals. So you, you have um, these, there's just not a social element in healthcare anymore. Everything is like, oh, there's a pill for that. When, that's really not the issue, right? You know, some there might be other issues like social issues, or so economic issues. Yeah, yeah. You exist. know, one of, one of the issues that we really under uh, undermine in healthcare is a lot of health problems are actually spiritual spirituality prom- problems rather than actual um, healthcare problems. I'm not sure if that makes a lot of sense, but when you dive deeper into some of the conversations I have with patients, some days it's like. You know the feeling of 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 not being recognized, undervalued, not being appreciated by society, not having good you know grounding, not having values. A lot of a lot of the sentiments that are shared go back to you know not having, not believing in yourself, not believing in your abilities, not having the spirituality spiritual grounding that makes you thrive through the hard circumstances. And I think. I would like to say more and, and where I work with those clinicians, we focus so much on, on you know, uh, encouraging, you know, things like CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy and, and mindfulness meditation and all those sorts of things, because a lot of health problems, in my view, are actually uh, underpinned by, by that one very problem. And it's important that when we design health apps that we can incorporate an aspect of of these dimensions into people's health because like you're saying the social aspect is so important family you know what family is one thing that we focus on a lot on the app is like you know if if you're a child you know having that parent oversee your information in the app to help you to take the medication obviously with the permission of the patient um if they are of an age where they can give consent but that's one thing that's really um, under-recognized in healthcare is the social aspect, like you're saying, and the social determinants of health, you know, you know, the housing, the, um, you know, and, and, and education and literacy and security and everything like that, you know, they are so important yeah. for patients to take their medications and they're often uh, not straightforward to solve, to be honest. No, they aren't. And that's why healthcare is hard. And that's why I try to tell people is, I mean, healthcare is a hard business because there's so many, there's a human element involved in it, you know, like not, I mean, there's a human element involved in a lot of things, but 
in healthcare, it's just with everyone, right? Everyone needs healthcare at some point in their life. And versus like, you know, other industries, like, you know, you might have, you know, a certain, certain swatch of people, like the community that uses it, but in healthcare, it's everyone. And you have to deal with everyone and not everyone doesn't fit in one box cleanly. And it, it's just never going to happen. And that's what the issue is. I don't have the answer. I mean, I know that, you know, we do need to look at the social side a lot more. I mean, there's a reason why the mental health world is blowing up um, in in the sense of popularity, because I think people are starting to realize that mental health is a thing and they need to fix, you know, like you mentioned, like you, you if you're not right, you know, you use the word spiritually, mental, whatever, whatever yeah, word you use, psychologically, whatever it yeah, is, whatever yeah, word yeah. you use, it's it's you're not going to a pill is not going to solve that. You know, there's no. a much deeper thing that we need to get to, and that's the one thing that I think is been stripped away from medicine, and since I've been practicing is that social part of it has been just stripped away for many reasons. Either we're relying, we're relying so much on medication. Yeah, <laughs> that's I know. I know it's it's kind of. Uh, contradicting coming from a pharmacist but you'll probably relate we rely so much on medication yeah no and it's that's what i'm saying there's like a, we, we live in a society where it says there's a pill for that and that's not how it should be i mean i tell people that you know in my training as a pharmacist i was taught to manage diseases and get people off of medications contrary to contrary to popular belief like we are taught to get people off of it and try to avoid them getting on the medication but we you know we have created this society where you know everyone wants something done quickly or whatever and and even like even us like you know as we go through our system we're just we're even told like oh just you know just prescribing the medication and move on right because everything is timed everything you can't take time with the patient you just need to diagnose them and treat them that's it and the treatment is usually medication yeah and one of the interesting things i found even when you know with in respect to medication adherence and something that i i've been challenged with when i've had medication is you know people put and reminders on apps and reminders on phones and the reminders go off. But how often do you think, you know, you silence everyone and think, oh, I'll just do it in a minute. And that yeah. minute goes and that's it. <laughs> you don't, you know, it's happened to me and you don't take the medication. You think, oh, crap, you know, my alarm did go off, but I silenced it because I was busy doing something else and I didn't take it. So it's actually like, even when it comes to adherence, to address medication adherence, like how are you really going to make sure that that pill goes into their mouth? <laughs> you don't. You know, you can't. You know, it has the ownership has to come from the patient. And so no matter how many times you hammer it down the throat um, that, you know, you have to take the medication, there has to be an intrinsic belief inside them that they need this medication or they're not going to get well. They're not going to overcome an infection. They're not going to whatever it is, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and that's the emphasis that is there on those on those apps, you know, and sometimes I look at, you know, I'm not sure if you've ever tried medication apps or, medi oh, sorry, or meditation apps um, or, or, or calm and things like that. When they send you alerts throughout the day, they don't just focus on one specific point in time. And I know it's annoying, but it's all, almost like that with your health. You always you need those constant health chickens throughout the day that make you remember that you have a medication to take, check in on your health, make sure it's fine, whatever it is, whatever the problem is, but it's being constantly reminded of the problem so that you know you need to address it rather than leave it to when things fall apart. Yeah, I mean, I'm the worst. Whenever I get medications, I always forget. And that's why I'm really empathetic with patients because I'm like, man, I, well, I mean, my memory is supposed to be good, <laughs> but, you know, I, you know, even something I have to take twice a day, I'll, I will forget to take the, AM, the, the PM1 or whatever. And, you know, so when a patient's coming in with like, 
10, 15 medications and they're not taking some, I'm not going to lambast them because I can't even take that one medication for seven days when I'm supposed to. And it's, and that, and that leads to another thing like polypharmacy, right? Like, uh, there's so many patients that are taking medications to, you know, they they have a side effect from one medication and then they're getting another medication to fight that side effect. And it's just like, no one really critically looks at this. And then when somebody started on a medication, are we really doing a good job of checking up on them to see, can we take them off that medication? Can we decrease the dose? Can we, you know, if they're not, if it's not working, can we switch to a different medication? It's just like, there's just so many complexities. And I know we're probably confusing everyone even more, but that's the point. You know, you, you should really be listening to this conversation and being like, holy crap, how does anyone get better? Because the fact that we even get people better is a testament to the people in the system. Absolutely. And it's got to go back, like you're saying, to the cause of the problem. What are the problems that cause the health issues in the first place? And those are the problems that we really need to address. It's not so much what lies on the surface. It's getting, you know, diving deeper into the ocean to find out, you know, into those deep waters. What is the problem here that we're trying to actually address? No one is going to get healthier, um, you know, if we don't do that. But again, it goes back to a very long conversation about systems and health systems and how they're incentivized, right? Which is another another uh, devil that we don't want to get into but yeah <laughs> yeah no and then i mean yeah i mean that's a very very long cover maybe next time maybe we'll have you back on and we can talk yeah about that. yeah but, look i could talk about that a lot but yeah yeah i mean another thing that you know you kind of mentioned was i think that we also need to we also need to start pivoting to patients owning their own health care right now it's like a very like patriarchal like you mentioned right you know do this because of this like you know you do this because i told you to do it right not mm -hmm. do this, but, you know, and like patients need to, and I think it's slowly happening, but patients mm -hmm. need to take ownership of their thing. And for me, one of the, one of the ways to do that is like you mentioned, seeing your data, seeing what affects what, you know, what food intake affects your glucose or, you know, you know, what time of day is your heart rate really high? Is it associated with some sort of activity or whatever? I've seen it in person with people in my family where they're more cognizant of the things they eat, or they're more cognizant of the activities that they are partaking in or, you know, what news they're watching at what time of the day, because it is all affecting them, right? They're not like, they're, they're it's like you mentioned, it's constantly reminding them of their own healthcare and their own health. And I think that's another thing. I don't know what your thoughts are on that of patients owning their healthcare, because I think that would help a lot. I mean, it would take some burden off the clinicians and also it would, I think it would make people better. I mean, pe make people healthier is what the word I was looking for, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we do need to empower patients to own their health rather than, uh, you know, spoon feed them the information or just, you know, have have them come in, you know, once every six months for that checkup when, you know, we disclose everything that's going wrong. You know, where was the patient? Why didn't we check up on that patient from time to time? And I think part of that is related to how the system is incentivized because we're not getting paid for it to do it over the long run. So we focus on addressing all these issues in like 15 minutes once a year. You know, how is that going to help the patient? It's not necessarily going to fix anything, is it? Um, and I think part of product management, part of getting into those apps is how can you ensure that you're checking on that patient more frequently and giving them the information that will empower them to take ownership of their health. You know, um, how many times, you know, I can think of a, a, numerous times when patients have, have done labs and the information from the lab tests does not get shared with them. Even if it doesn't mean anything to you as a clinician, even if you're just taking it saying, oh yeah, it's all fine. And, you know, putting it on the side. Still, that information should be shared with the patient when proactively 
um, discussed with them because it's like even if they're doing a good job, you know, if you've suspected that they have high lipids or whatever and you've gone and undertaken a test or a lab test, you need to share with them that, hey, actually, your lipids are doing fine. You seem to be going doing all the right things. Wouldn't that encourage you as a patient? You know, why do we get told about information when it's bad, when things are going down hell and like, oh my God, look at your inflammatory markers and look at your, oh, look at your HbA1c and you're going to develop diabetes. How, how dis- disempowering is it that we get told this information when things are going downhill? We need to empower patients. So healthcare is a journey. It's not one point in time. It's throughout time, from the time they're born to the time they, you know, deceased. And this yeah. is what we, how we need to look at healthcare, you know, and this is what apps and, and products that are relate, released for patients need to address. Get the patients to sign up when they're well and do those wellness checkups rather than, oh my God, you're developing, <laughs> developing diabetes or, or your mental health is not up to scratch or you've got major depressive disorder. And I think this is what true health should come down to. You know, at the moment, as, as we call it, it's a sick care. It's not healthcare. People are not getting better. And this is what any healthcare product released to patients or any apps or whatever needs to have in the back of their mind. How can we empower patients by making information visible, by making sure it's a journey rather than one point in a patient's health, one point in time in their health? Yeah, I mean... And, and, was... Yeah, no, it's fascinating, like, hearing you talk. I've talked to people in Europe, Asia, New, I mean, New Zealand, obviously America, I live here. Uh, and we all say the same things. We all have the same problems. I mean, the the financial part of it is different. How healthcare is covered is different, but the actual healthcare problems, like patient adherence, not having enough time, sick care versus preventative care, you know, the incentives not lining up, like all of it is all the same. And that's one thing that is really fascinating and disheartening to me because you would think that someone, one of us, somewhere along the way, somebody would have figured it out. But we're all kind of but fighting. You know, why it's, why, you know why it's not Southern, I can't use it. You know why it's not figured out? It's because we only disclose this information to people when they get older, when they're in their you know, 20s and above. Not when they're at school, not when they're in kindergarten. We don't talk about health then. We wait until catastrophes happen. Yeah. And so we need to, you know, has anybody ever thought, okay, well, kids are on their phones. My kids are on their phones the whole day. Gosh, I can't get, even get them off. Is there a health app designed for kids to teach kids about how to take care of their health that's engaging, that can actually teach them the concepts of good health, of spirituality, of the dimensions of healthcare? No, there's nothing out there. And so we wait until catastrophes happen or when they're about to commit suicide or when they're in ED. And you're like, oh, you know, where were you when this happened? Why didn't you do this earlier? It's like, well, nobody told me. How would I, how was I to know? Yeah, that's actually a really and good this point. Is, and this is the, the problem. The problem is that health is left until health is left until people are dying or are really sick, not when they're healthy. If we're going to look at the meaning of health, it needs to happen when people are healthy, not when they're sick. Yeah, no, I agree. I can't really add much to that. I mean, that's an interesting concept. I never even thought of that. I mean, over here, only times that uh, kids really get um, any health care is when like a pharmacist goes to the classroom and tells them, don't take the medications in these orange bottles or in these, like these, this right. is not candy. <laughs> Poison. This, this is the extent of the healthcare education that kids get is do not take the medications. And then when they get older, they're told, do take the medications. Um, it's a weird dichotomy that I just realized right now. But uh, no, that's, I mean, that's amazing. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's I, I, I really like the way you put it there. Like, you, we need to, we need to congratulate people when they're doing the right thing. And so that they'll continuously do the right thing. Um, I had a really bad joke about being South Asian and always being told 
how how bad how how bad we are in general uh but but yeah i mean it's true like you know if you're not if you're not positively encouraging people yeah. yeah and then all they're hearing is negative 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 then at some point you're like well you you feel like you're in this box and you're trapped and there's nowhere to go right so yeah no i really i, I really like that point a lot but and I, you know what's the interesting thing on that point as well zane is people actually don't want to go to the doctor because of that because they know what if i go and they tell me i have high blood pressure or i have bad you know cholesterol or if my diabetes is getting worse they actually avoid and it turns into avoidant healthcare avoiding healthcare altogether because they don't want to be told the bad bad news or if they have a family history of cancer and and suddenly you know they go to the toilet and they have some blood in their feces and they're like oh gosh i don't want to go to the doctor to tell me that i have cancer i'll just live with it and maybe that's part of why some diagnoses are very late yeah no it's because we've turned around the healthcare narrative to mean that going to the doctor equals bad yeah <laughs> you know yeah no 100 percent um and for us here in, in the states going to the doctor not only equals bad but also possible bankruptcy and that also i mean <laughs> yeah. i joked about this yeah. at one time and something i wrote was you know before you call 911 you know exactly how much that ambulance ride is going to cost you you know exactly how much that er visit's going to cost you you're like is this is this three thousand dollars worth this call right i mean it's and it's not something that we should be thinking about but um it happens unfortunately but i do want to touch on the other things that you do outside of your work i mean you do have a newsletter uh do you want to talk a little bit about that and how people can find it um yeah sure so i have got uh the pharmacist diaries um newsletter uh they can find it on linkedin they can subscribe on linkedin um there will be a link on my uh, linkedin page um they can sign up through that and uh, pretty much in my newsletter, I discuss my journey into um, all the various roles that I have and how I got them and just try to empower more pharmacists to take similar journeys and just uh, whether they're in retail and they want to stay in retail or they want to exit retail and take another role, whatever setting they are, I just feel like, um, you know, our career is like a canvas and we are the only ones who have the brush painted. You know, mm -hmm. I encourage more people to paint their own canvas in their career uh, that aligns with their goals, their values, and just how they want to live their life. You know, every single day, there isn't a day that goes past the thing. If I was to die now, am I going to say that I fulfilled my true potential, that I was happy where, where I was and what I've achieved, you know, in my family life and my career life, everything. I would hate to, you know, I would hate to have died <laughs> two years ago when I was so miserable and, you know, lying on my deathbed thinking, I feel so burned out. I hated what I did. I don't feel like I've achieved anything. I'm mentally not in a good place. You know, imagine lying on your deathbed thinking that way. <laughs> that no. wouldn't be very nice, you know. And then that's the thing is I encourage more and more people wherever sitting they are is just, just do the things that you love, you know. Do the things that make you alive because what we really need is, you know, not more people who are doing you know, living life miserably. We need more pharmacists who fulfill the true, true potential because that's when we know more patients are going to get the right medicine at the right time. More patients are going to know more about their medications, about their health. And, and that's the thing is as pharmacists, we're not just about medications. Like, you know, look at this discussion. We've addressed the various health from various tangents, from various aspects. And we have, you know, an, an extensive amount of knowledge to share with patients. And you know, the more we do what we love, the more we can share that knowledge with our patients, the more we're really creating a healthier society. And so we've got so much to offer. And, and you know, my newsletter is just pretty much around that, how to uh, fulfill your potential and to get various revenue streams, not only because they get your money, but because they make you feel truly fulfilled because 
you know, when you create a revenue stream, it's not just about, you know, you getting money. It's about doing something that you truly love that doesn't only fulfill you, but it fulfills people around you as well. Like you and this podcast, you know, how you're sharing this knowledge for free. You're not getting paid anything for it, but you know that you're putting word out there that you are aligning this a purpose with your life um, to fulfill a potential, that, that the true potential that you have. And this is probably how you ended up with, uh, you know, your current role, for example, by putting yourself out there. But not only because of that, it truly makes you feel like, you know, like fulfilled, like you're achieving something. And, and that's what brings us back to feeling good about ourselves, feeling valued, feeling like we're contributing to society. And there's just nothing that beats that. So that's, that's um, about my newsletter, really. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, thank you for the kind words. I think you're giving me way too, way too much credit, but no, our newsletter is awesome. It's a great read. Um, and then also, uh, I do want to ask you a question. I, I feel like I, you know the answer to it, but you know, if you had any advice for um, new upcoming grads or even yourself, you know, when you started, what what advice would you have given yourself when you graduated pharmacy? Well, whenever you graduated, like, what would you tell yourself? Um, if I was to go back in time and tell myself. Um, a few th there would be a few things actually that I would be telling myself. I would probably say, my, tell myself to have the gumption to just get out there and do what your heart calls on you to do. If you know, if you're in a role that's fulfilling you and making you happy or making you sad, you know, we've all got our intrinsic motives and, and, and internal feelings and internal gut feelings that tell us, um, that speak to us. And I wish I had listened to those voices earlier. You know, don't be, don't wait until you're burnt out and unhappy um, because there and then you may not make the best decisions. I was lucky that this, it didn't happen to me, although everybody else told me I was making the wrong decision, <laughs> but I think I turned it around. Um, yeah, just don't wait until things fall apart. Uh, act earlier, act on instinct. Um, and, and don't, when you take those steps, like when in my call with that CEO, uh, when I got one of my roles, don't overthink it too much or you won't do it. So when I sent him that initial message, I had this battle inside my head. No, don't do it. This is ridiculous. What the hell do you think you're doing? You know, he's not going to read that. And the other side of me is like, no, just, just do it. Just get, go ahead. And I remember the fight on my fingers when I was like, should I press enter or not? And I just did it without even thinking. And that's the thing is the more you overthink a, a project, a particular um, step that you're going to take, something that you want to do, the more you overthink it, it's called paralysis by analysis, the more you're not going to do it. So just sometimes, even though it's advisable to think about things, overthinking can actually kill it. So don't overthink too much. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, when you even reach out to people, don't say I have a track history of success and, you know, this, this and that, you know, give tangible examples and figures. You know, so when, I, when I reached out to the CEO, um, I actually provided evidence of what I did and how I contributed in, in all the various parts of my journey to enhancing patient outcomes, you know, give real world evidence rather than just saying, I'm good at this, this and that, whatever role you're applying in, even on your LinkedIn profile, I tell people, don't just say I'm good at time management or I'm good at project. What, what does that mean? You know, like provide examples. You need examples. People will not relate to you and it will not, uh, you know, it will not it would be taken as face value rather than actually believed. You know what I mean? And, you know, reach out and connect to people in, in all fields. Not, I always tell people, not just pharmacy. You know, how many people do you come across every day from various fields that you um, learn from? And diversifying your thinking is so important. 
for expanding your horizon, for understanding more about how life in general works. You know, it's the, you know, a big part of how we operate is, is psychology, understanding the psychology of people, understanding how you can communicate to people to convey your ideas. I wish I had learned that earlier on, how to pitch my idea to someone, how to make it convincing. And so one book that I really like actually is um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I'm not sure if you've heard about it, but a great read. You know, if I could have read that book 14 years ago, it would have changed so many things. Never mind, it's not too late. Um, you know, so educate yourself, you know, and LinkedIn is full of opportunities. Please don't just, you know, like appear on the platform and disappear. Engage with people and like you're saying, always create and nurture connections. Connections, connections, connections. You know, everybody says that it is going to change your life. And don't wait until you've graduated to do that. Get on LinkedIn early. You don't have to have graduated. You know, form connections so that when you graduate, you have a myriad of opportunities um, rather than wait until you graduate, then start that cycle. And, you know, emphasizing that cold reaching out to people is okay. Um, you know, a lot of people think, oh, you know, you shouldn't reach out cold cold reach out to people anymore. It's really old fashioned. I did that and it worked. And I'd recommend anybody still does it too, as long as it's done the right way, you know. Uh, don't just say, hi, you know, I am this, this and that. Um, can we talk sort of thing, you know. It, it, just really think about what you put out to people. Is this how you would want someone to approach you? Take the time to actually think so. You know, even though I sent that message really quickly on the spot, I had taken some days to actually think about what is it that I really want to achieve out of this message. And, you know, when people read it, when he reads it, what do I want him to think? And so thinking about the final destination is so important um, rather than just thinking about what you want to say right now. Um, and finally, just to persevere and, and not quit. Don't quit until you get what you want. And like you, like me, we knew what we wanted. Don't just throw CVs. And this is something I did that was not right, by the way, throwing CVs in all directions at anything that comes. <laughs> you know, just know exactly what you want. Because like you, um, you know, when you design your CV, just it has to speak to the purpose of the position that you want. Again, knowing that final destination, rather than speaking from your perspective about what you can offer, you need to know what you can offer that particular company or that particular position. Yeah. Um, that's so important. Yeah, no, I, uh, I definitely agree with everything you said. I literally wrote about this today and it was basically what you just said. Um, so I don't have much to add. Um, I always leave inspired after talking with you. So thank you very much. Um, where, if people want to reach out to you, um, where can they reach out to you? What's the best place to get a hold of you? Um, so they can uh, email me on katrina.azer at gmail.com or yeah, I'm on LinkedIn as I've said. So feel free to hop on and reach out to me uh, there. I'll, you'll easily find me liking Zane's post. So <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, I'm there. So no, look, I'm thrilled to have uh, have had this opportunity to speak to you on this podcast. I um, really enjoyed uh, discussing all things mid management, mid adherence, you know, product management and healthcare in general. And I look forward to maybe another time in the future. Yeah, no, for sure. I had a great time um, as always. It's always. It's always a pleasure talking to you, but thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Zane. Have a lovely day. And you too. Bye.